really some real magic just in theater. I mean, I just remember the days when I, you know, was doing theater or had done theater. Uh And there's just something about being on that stage and then you hear the music come up, the live orchestra, and it it Mm -hmm. just can really stand the hair up on the back of your neck. Um, Did you go to a, a mixed school or was it predominantly one race or the other i mean i know you were talking about oklahoma and how right i didn't know if it was my school uh my school masconoma regional uh was about 99 percent caucasian Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there were a couple of asian kids and um i think we had three and a half Jewish kids mm-hmm. um, because we found out one of my, my good friends, Eric was half Jewish. We didn't know that then, but we found out, you know, we, it's funny because a bunch of, of us, there were about 40 of us who are still very good friends and it's been 45 years. So what was it like for you growing up in Harlem in mm-hmm. the sixties in, in a predominantly well, Caucasian school? Well, okay, so it's like um, I was scared out of my wits to go there. Uh, You can imagine all the stories that, you know, people, you know, talk about, you know, oh, they're afraid of black people. Well, well, I heard some stories, too, you know, with the lynchings and, and, you know, and and bottles thrown at 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 civil rights workers and all kinds of things. And with the busing. And so um, I was truly frightened to go to this school with uh, these white people. But I gotta tell you, within two weeks of being at that school, um, I made lifelong friends who, um, a couple of them, I would say they're like family members. Mm-hmm. And and again, this is what I say about, about traveling and having experiences and, and breaking bread with people. You, um, all of the, the preconceived notions that we have about people, they fade away because we learned the truth. Mm-hmm. We we learned that there's more in common with people who supposedly look different than you or act different than you. You'll realize, oh, no, they're they pretty much want the same thing. And you know what that same thing is? Everyone is looking for love. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. a theme. Yeah. Gonna, it's a theme. Yeah. And um, and and so while I had planned on not staying at that school, you could barely get me home on the holidays. Hmm. Hmm. And I'm sure your parents probably mainly put you there for an education. So they they wanted to make sure that you had a good education. Um, Yeah. So you moved to L.A. from New York to pursue a career in theater. Is that correct? No. What happened was I was in a new Broadway show Uh that um, it was called Walls, Six People in Group Therapy. And um, there were six of us. And I was, I'll tell you how long ago it was, um, me and a a great actress named Faith Prince, who went on to win the Tony Award in Guys and Dolls on Broadway um, as Adelaide. And uh, she's in movies and televisions as well. But we were the two young kids and we were boyfriend and girlfriend in that show. And, um, And we went out there to do that show. And that show, nothing was bad. It was ill timed. It was just, it was happening too late. The the movement, the me, it was like the the what was they call it? The not the me too, but the the me movement. Um, it, it just in psychiatry, it just it was late. Hmm. We needed to move on, mm-hmm. and so the show closed out of town, and that town was Los Angeles. And being a New Yorker, I had never experienced February 
and 70 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh my goodness, maybe I'll stay here till the end of March. And I will never forget, I said to a friend of mine, I said, well, I'll stay in LA as long as I can be in the theater. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the theater gods and goddesses listened and they kept me working for 28 years there in the theater. Wow. So what was the last n normal job you had that was outside of entertainment? You've been making your living in entertainment, which is a blessing. I mean, yes. I can't, I've worked with so many people through the years and some of them have been able to do it and others have not. And uh, what, what's, the, what's the secret sauce? Well, I don't know if there's a secret sauce. I do know that I'm very tenacious and I believe that I can tell stories anywhere. Mm -hmm. So um, even if there's no job looming in the future, I will create work like the show Sulsa that I created. Um, I also started uh, producing and directing a musical that I had been in, The All Night Strut. Right, exactly. I, saw, I think at Cornette is when I saw you in that. Yes, the Coronet and did it at the Coronet, the Cinegrill, and then produced the national tour for almost a decade, that show. Um, is that still, and, still living uh, on somewhere? Say that again? Is that still living on somewhere, that show? Um, not. It's it's done uh, because the, the show is a show that anyone can do now. I don't own the rights any longer, mm -hmm. um, but um, it, it's it's in the back of my mind because I was thinking about maybe a new version of the show, mm -hmm. you know, for the 21st century. Um, add more uh, high tech things, even though it's thirties, forties musical. Um, it's about young people and the music of the time mm -hmm. and what was going on during the time, which was the World War Two. So I thought about like just sort of looking at it differently. Um, so I don't have a, a, a production of it right now out there, but yeah, that, it was a lovely, lovely show. And and you are not only a dancer, but a choreographer. I believe I'm correct in that. What makes you well, put on... Before we get... Okay, I wouldn't call myself a choreographer. Okay. I did re-choreograph uh, parts of All Night Strut only based on Fran Charnas' original choreography because I had done it, so I know that. But I would never call myself a choreographer because I'm not really trained technically as a dancer. I move well after lots of rehearsal. So I guess that's why, because I was wondering, because I mean, I, it looked like you were dancing an all night strut and I'm mm -hmm. guessing uh, uh, you've throughout your extensive career, you've had to dance on other occasions. And I mm -hmm. noticed on your bio, you say actor, singer, mover, director, instead yes. of actor, singer, dancer, <laughs> director. It's true. So you're probably I, just I being humble. Very well. Um, when it comes to dancing, my theory is if my character is supposed to dance, then I dance. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I, there are like, especially like I'm working, I tell you, there are like kids from So You Think You Can Dance um, in music band now. And they're so phenomenal. Those are dancers. Well, to that's me. a whole different I, thing now too. I mean, I know even when I left, cause I, you know, done jazz, tap, ballet and all that. And I mm -hmm. always considered myself as an actor that, learned how to dance too just for that reason mm -hmm. to right. have that under your belt but it got to a point where it was like gymnastics i mean these kids were like doing splits and somersaults and tumbling mm -hmm. and you know that's when i switched into ballroom dance it was a lot more yes subtle. right <laughs> can you uh articulate a little bit more about the the los angeles thriving theater community and how you were i mean you've like performed at every notable theater in 
Southern California, I think. I mean, from the Old Globe to mm-hmm. uh, the the Montalban. I think it was called something else at the time, maybe when you were. But you you pretty it was much the hit Huntington Hartford, and now it's the Ricardo Montalban. Right. Yeah. But uh, you even even back then you were kind of going mm-hmm. from show to show to show to show because it seems mm-hmm. like. You know, like like I said, once you got on Broadway, no one can get you off it. <laughs> it's like you just go from <laughs> one you, show to thank another. You, thank and, you, Broadway gods. And yeah, and plus, knock um, on but, wood, able to d- <laughs> still continue doing um, film and television too. I mean, you're still racking mm-hmm. up the. You're going to have a nice little retirement coming to you, I think, my friend. Yes, from knock, the looks knock, of your knock resume, on wood. Yeah. yeah, thank you, unions. Um, <laughs> which, um, but when it, when it comes to Los Angeles theater, it's like anything. It's like it's so Los Angeles is so beautiful mm-hmm. and it's so easy to relax there and wait for jobs to come to you. And um, I, like I said, I am tenacious and I really, truly believe that, you know, they, they always say, like, you know, your agents get 10 percent of your salary. Mm-hmm. Well, you get 90 percent. So mm-hmm. I think you ought to do ninety percent of the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a, a not wait. Good way to look at it. I mean, a lot of people, yeah. you know, have a different way of looking at it. And yeah, they wait for their agents. Well, they're they're only getting ten percent. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the ninety percent is you. So that's why I'm out there, and it's not like I'm networking or anything. What I my focus is, like I said, because I love telling stories is like I look for stories that I would love to tell. So it's not so much. Oh, what is that audition? What story are they telling? Oh, I'd like to tell that. Then I go to and I go to the audition and I get up there and I tell my story so that they know that I am someone who is voracious Mm -hmm. about telling stories. And then they add me to their roster to, you know, to tell their story. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course, you know, like every other business, you start working at the Mark Cable Forum. The next thing you know, you're at the Amundsen or you're, you're at the Westwood Playhouse or you're down at the Old Globe or the Theatrical Botanicum or all these different theaters. Because like any business, it's a small world and people start to know who you are. Mm-hmm. The casting directors, the directors, and then people will bring you to a show. Um, and this is why I say for, for performers, sometimes when we're between jobs and, you know, I, I have that too, but I don't really talk about like being unemployed. Mm -hmm. I don't really believe in that. Yeah. I don't Uh, think I've ever known you to have been unemployed. (laughs) You've always been working on something. Well, it, it is always something. And I think there's the illusion that there's always something because I'm thinking about, you know, if, if art, what we do is a living art and we are the vessel, then it's always alive. So even if I'm not going to a theater and, and getting a weekly paycheck or being on a television show and getting a paycheck, um, I could be creating art somewhere, some music, some theater, something right or something and be part of something so people know that you're doing things and i really believe that work begets work Mm -hmm. Hmm. if we are at home we cannot we cannot create you must it's a it's a social situation it's something that we have to find other people you know to inspire us and other people to inspire so get together with your friends and 
you know, do Moliere or Shakespeare in the park or read stories to some kids at a head start. Do something that it's always, you know, sharing your gifts. Yeah. Or old people, people at a retirement notice. home. You know, reading, <laughs> oh reading. Oh, my goodness. They, oh, my goodness. People at the retirement homes, you know, their brains are still so active. They may be sitting in those wheelchairs, but they really love uh when uh performers come in and sing for them and or read a story it just sort of like it it's thrilling and you're sharing your art and i guarantee you it will translate into uh work that you know if you, if you need to make money it will probably bring you money absolutely do you write as well or have any interest in writing well yeah obviously absolutely. you're writing a book yeah. so but how about yes. as far as i mean there's so many tools available now where you can actually create your own content. The software is very affordable um, where you can shoot and edit your own uh, visions. Well, during the uh, pandemic, I created a show called Broadway's Calling with Lance Roberts on YouTube, which was a show that I created where I got my friends who I I had worked with on Broadway from PV Herman to Glenn Close uh, to Wayne Brady uh, you know, different entertainers to tell the audiences about the moment that they first got the call, and it only happens once, mm-hmm. from Broadway. Hmm. So it was called Broadway's Calling with Lance Roberts, and it would there were these beautiful stories because everyone who's been on Broadway has that story, but they only have one story. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And, and that- so... What were you going to say? I, I, I was just so that's on YouTube right now. Like people can Google Lance Roberts Broadway stories and and check that yeah, out. It's called Broadway's Calling with Lance Roberts. Broadway's Calling on YouTube. With, on yeah, YouTube. cool. And it's it's all over there. Great and great inspiring stories. You know when you find out you know what Glenn Close was doing when she got the call or what Wayne Brady um, he got the call and you'll see that story. He actually missed the call from a very very big role that he ended up not doing uh but it sort of changed the trajectory of his career but it's a great story um and uh and 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 so i wrote the script um similar to you like producing the the show and and that was great and i've also written a couple of things uh for the stage that i'm hope to get those start started next year um because it's already finished um i wrote a feature film. I don't know if it's any good. I think it's a cool story, but I don't know. Maybe a little bit much. <laughs> it may not. Uh, you know, you write something and it takes you know several years by the time you get it out there, and it's like mm, this is old. Maybe we need to move on from that. Um, but right now, I'm also working on. Um, I love sitcoms. Like I really love them. They are close to the theater. Mm-hmm um the, the 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 format of them and even though i get to do a lot of one hour dramas here in new york um there aren't uh, any uh comedies here we mm-hmm. don't have any three count camera comedies here yeah that's a good gig if and, you can get on a regular sitcom i mean it's even work wise oh, it's a good gig it's a lot less demanding than doing those hour dramatic shows <laughs> yeah and also it's for me it's doing television, but with an audience. Yeah, I would so, see how that would be appealing to a stage, uh, someone that yes. is so comfortable on stage, too. Well, most sitcom stars, especially in the 80s, were mostly from the stage. Hmm. You know, from 
you know, George and, and, and Louise Jefferson, Sherman Hemsley from uh, Pearly on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nell Carter was from uh, Ain't Misbehaving. Mm-hmm. Eileen Graff, the mom on uh, Silver Spoons was from I Love You. Uh, uh, what was it? I Love My Wife on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I mean, on and on and on. Christopher Hewitt, who was Mr. Belvedere. I mean, not Silver Spoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Belvedere. Um uh, was uh, Captain Hook the first time I saw Peter Pan? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so Broadway stars are made for like sitcoms because it technically is like theater, and they're feeding off the audience, the studio audience. And I always thought it would be so exciting to have one live on Broadway that went out to uh, on television. That's or a great idea. Something. Well, actually, uh, I think didn't uh, what's his name? Oh shoot, I'm forgetting his name. D- didn't he just do something like that with Jesus Christ Superstar? What's the uh, that was a music? Oh, a musical. Musicals have been live. I'm yeah. talking about a sitcom. Oh, r- r- sitcom. Okay, okay. Based a on- weekly sitcom like The Honeymooners with Jackie Gleason was a weekly sitcom that was filmed here in New York, uh-huh. and it had a certain energy. And I think that that would be like so exciting to have a weekly sitcom and you just, it would be free, but it would be done just like a Broadway show. We do it at 8 p.m., you know, on a Friday night and it could be the event of of the week. You know, Saturday Night Live has been here, you know, what, over 40 some odd years in New York. Yeah. And that's still exciting. Yeah. Imagine if there was a sitcom also here in New York um, with great guest stars and uh, maybe we'll have to film it on a Monday night. So if we can get some Broadway stars yeah, to yeah. be guest stars, they'll be available on a Monday night. Yeah, you just gave me a new, new, new idea. <laughs> well, that is a, a a great idea, and you're definitely in a position where you can make the kind of connections with people that can see that through. Uh, mm-hmm. What were some of your breakthrough moments uh, or roles, projects that that took your career to the next level? To the next level, it's so funny. I am so unaware of any level uh-huh. um, because I'm. I when I was young, I was delusional, so I always thought I was starring on Broadway. Now, uh, like I said, I don't know anything, so I still think I'm at the beginning of my career. Uh, do you find so, that there's any kind of? Uh, I've just talked to some people that once they get to a certain point it's kind of it's like a glass ceiling kind of thing like like let's say they're doing a lot of featured roles but it's mm-hmm. a very difficult for them to get a call to audition for a lead role but they'll they'll they get always get called for like a, a guest role or featured role but, right right i do there is a, a sense of that um like i've never been a series regular or i haven't been one yet um, Which is something that I I, I I mean, I think you should definitely have your own series. I could definitely see thank you. you, Mark, from your mouth to God's ears um, and your agents but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or my agent or the producers who are writing it. But yeah. here's the deal. One of my favorite actors is the late, great Ed Asner. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to do a great uh, Western radio show with him called Powder Burns. And um I was just so in awe of Ed Asner because most people had never heard of Ed Asner until the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm-hmm. Ed Asner was in his fifties when that show began mm-hmm. and, or, or late forties. And, um, and so I always tell people and I tell myself, it's like that moment can happen at any time. Mm-hmm. It can happen at any time. And so 
whatever you're doing, if you're doing like, you know, like the, the roles I get are nice guest stars, you know, um, you know, I've even been the guest star um, in or featured roles or, you know, a couple of co-stars. I really don't do those as many uh, right now, but it's like, I think any time you get to tell a story is good. And I never feel stuck mm-hmm. because if I get to tell a story, I've, I've, I've won. And, and if you're thinking about only like, you're only successful if you're the star or you have, you can have a series and it can be off the air or, and you can be the star of a series and it can be pulled after three episodes. Um, or you can be a friend of mine who played a character on the office for nine years and said two lines each week, but he's a millionaire. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So what difference does it make? It's like he had a great time on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I'm saying? So it's all of it. It's like, again, it's like, if we love what we do, we don't think about like the, uh, if you're being successful, you are successful if you've told your story. It's like when you go to an audition, people say, oh, I went to that audition, I didn't get the job. Mm -hmm. And I said, but did you tell the story where you had that chance to perform in front of those two or three people? Mm -hmm. And if they said yes, then I said, you won. It doesn't matter if you get the job, you'll get a job. You know, it's just, we don't get all of the, the jobs, but we'll get a job at some point. You have to believe that. Yeah, uh, uh, it's all about telling the story. That's where the focus should yes. be. Is one actor told me something. He was working with John Wayne, and mm-hmm. John Wayne said to him, they were talking about roles and little roles and big roles, and John Wayne said to him, there was this guy uh, that was asked, you know, the 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 they were being chased down something. It was a cowboy and Western kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And John Wayne goes, which way did he go to that way or to the other way? And this guy had this one Mm -hmm. line. He went that way, but that was Mm -hmm. part of the story. And if he didn't say that line, Mm -hmm. you know, the story wouldn't have been complete. So, you know, you you never know how important your, what, what other people might think is little is really very important. You you had the uh, opportunity to work with Andrew Lloyd Webber, correct? Yeah, a couple of times. What was that experience like? Well, the first time, which was Cats, and this was in the 80s, and, and this was before there was a Phantom of the Opera or a Les Mis or a Hamilton. Um, and it was thrilling to be in something where when someone said, oh, you're an actor, what do you do? And you said Cats, mm-hmm. they immediately knew what it was, mm-hmm. even in Los Angeles. So... Um, uh, it was sort of great, you know, being around Andrew Lloyd Webber then. Now, he didn't create anything. He was just there because the show had already been created on Broadway and we were just opening up the Los Angeles company. But it was still sort of cool and fun. Um, and at that time, I knew Andrew Lloyd Webber from Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though Cats was a phenomenon, Jesus Christ Superstar it's was still big one of my favorite shows. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that was cooler to me. Now, fast forward to 2017 and I'm now doing um, Sunset Boulevard with Glenn Close here on Broadway. And Andrew was here. We had the largest audience, I mean, not audience, but largest um, orchestra um, at the time with 41 members and all on the stage. And he reorchestrated. And I'm here to tell you, 
uh, talk about someone who loves what they do. Hmm. He's very successful and we all know who he is, but Andrew Lloyd Webber was there and and if a note was wrong, he would know it what which note it was and which instrument played it. Hmm. And he would just sit in, in our rehearsals and just close his eyes and just really soak in the music of it all. And um, I found that very inspiring for someone who had been doing it for so long at such a high level hmm. and, and financially successful and artistically successful was still thrilled about the work. Yeah. Well, that's good to and, hear because some of these yeah. people, when they get to that level, it's not even necessarily them doing the work. They just kind of put their name on stuff and have right. their well, yeah, assistance that's, to, I mean, that's to most of it. You uh, know, um, and that's why I'm glad you asked me about him because I, I did find that inspiring because he had that, um, what I what I find like most actors um, who are successful, they have sort of the thrill of a child when they're doing um, their their work. Um, I find that with Hugh Jackman. I, I will look at him sometimes 76 trombones. I'm like, oh my goodness, he looks like he's having the time of his life huh. because he is. He doesn't need to do a Broadway show. He wants to do a Broadway show. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, uh, disappointing, though, uh, to hear from Diane Carroll that, that, <laughs> that Weber is kind of a dick. <laughs> Uh, I, well, I, I mean, you can't deny well, his talent it, and impact. It was, it was sort of interesting, their rapport, uh-huh. um, because it ended up, he ended up falling in love with her performance because I think there was a, a, a famous story how when she wanted to do Norma Desmond, he was like, oh, that's too weird because there wasn't an African-American silent film star at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then although she ended up playing the part in Toronto to huge success. There's even an album, which if you haven't heard it, she sings the crap out of those songs. Um, It's, it's a great album uh, reissue of the entire score, but with Diane Carroll singing uh, Norma Desmond. Mm -hmm. And uh, he fell in love with her once he saw her do it. And when you see someone like Diane Carroll do it, and I believe there's some video on the YouTube um, you forget, you just see a magnificent star. You don't think, you know, that she's white, black, Hispanic, or what have you. Mm-hmm. You just see a magnificent star. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's ultimately what he saw. And I think a lot of uh, composers, directors, choreographers, they are now getting to that point where it's it's similar to the opera, where it's not about whether you have the right body the right uh color or what have you if you have the talent then you can get the role and i think you know during you know during the pandemic when artists were asking people to wake up and to consider uh you know opening up their eyes um now casting has it's been thrilling it's like you know i don't watch very much television but now i turn it on and i see people from all walks of life and I'm not talking about just black people and white people. I'm like seeing Southeast Asians and lots of Hispanics um, and and in different situations, not in stereotypical situations. And it's thrilling because it reminds us of this great, vast world we live in and all the exciting people and cultures and stories 
that there there are out there. Yeah, even in commercials, you're seeing uh, more yeah. more of a mixture of people. Absolutely, uh, you've toured a lot throughout the the country. What have been some of mm-hmm. your your favorite cities, and and why were they your favorite cities? Oh, I know what my favorite city is, and people are always surprised. My favorite city to, and I sat down in this city in two separate shows for one year apiece. So I really know this city. And my favorite other city is Detroit, Michigan, y'all. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, Rich music history. Not not to mention automobiles, too. But yeah. I love the automobiles. I love the the river there. I love, uh, of course, the, the, the history behind Motown. And knowing, you know, that the Supremes and the Temptations are right there, you know, not too far away from the theater district, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when they were coming up. But a couple of things happened in Detroit that uh, that I really appreciated. One was the food there is out of this world. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. telling you, from four star restaurants to really um, ethnic food, like the Greek food is phenomenal there. The soul food, the conies, which are hot dogs, are really good. Um, but the first time I was there, and it was the all night strut the first time in Forbidden Hollywood, the the Hollywood version of Forbidden Broadway, the second time. But I we were there during the Rodney King verdict in 1992. I'll never forget. Hmm. All night strut was sold out, and um, but they were putting a curfew because they thought there were going to be riots when the Rodney King verdict came out. Mm-hmm. And that night in Detroit. And no one has ever spoken about it. No one has ever written about it that I've ever seen. And no one reported on it on the news. There wasn't one incidence of violence hmm. in the city of Detroit that night. Hmm. Well, that's good to hear. And, well, and and I asked people about it. Detroit also was the first city. And there are several places where you'll see this now. Um, black men and white men hang out together. But mm-hmm. I used to notice that white women and black women did not hang out together Hmm. regularly. I'm sure there are instances where they do, but just on a regular basis, except for I saw it in Detroit and I'm talking a lot. I, I had never seen just black women and white women hang out. And so after the Rodney King verdict came out and I asked, I'm like, what, there was, there was no violence. You know, why do we have a curfew? (laughs) Remember this white lady said, violence we went through that in the 60s we are so past that here in detroit city okay Uh and i was like oh i see that i get that here in detroit and so i was so happy to go back there in 1999 to do forbidden hollywood because of that experience in that year i stayed a year Mm -hmm. and both times i only went to open up the show stay for like you know eight to 12 weeks and come back to la Mm -hmm. i stayed the year because i didn't want to leave the people were just so wonderful and there's so many levels of of joy um, in the city and in the state of Michigan, which a lot of people don't know. If you put your hand in front of your face, that is a shape from Michigan. There's as much coastline in the state of Michigan as the state of California. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. You, you don't notice it, but it's a beautiful, beautiful state. Um great vacation areas that are very simple and just, again, good food. And if you like rock and roll, a lot of the rock concerts would originate in Detroit because it's a great rock and roll 
audience. Don't call me Corey Baker, call me Marco Potch, cause I'm not Julia's son, not anymore. Don't call me Corey Baker, call me Marco Potch, cause I'm not Julia's son like I was before.